0: to the SBP Podcast, Mobile Filmmaking, Episode 81. I am your host, Susie Botello. Three, two, in today's episode, the first prize winner of the 2020 International Mobile Film Festival's Short Film Competition is with us. Tom Pardo is in Nice, France. His film, Submerged, is a story that takes place on the ground and beneath the ocean. You will listen to Tom discuss the challenges of filming under the ocean with his iPhone. But Tom also discusses why he decided to become a filmmaker and use his iPhone to make his film. He and I discussed his film's messaging and storyline, and we discussed how the decisions that he made in post-production We're part of the creative storytelling process. The official International Mobile Film Festival in San Diego opens the call for film submissions on June 19th. If you or someone you know has ever used or is using a smartphone camera to shoot movies, we have two competitions that you or they can participate in. The short film competition is between one and five minutes and has many categories from cosplay to fully mobile on your phone uh, and geography, community stories, mobile journalism, kids, more, lots more. So if you have a feature length film. We also have another competition, a separate competition from the short film competition, and that's a lot of competition, but it's a challenge. It's a challenge that we introduced in 2016 to make feature-length films, and the maximum length for feature-length films has been raised this year from 90 minutes to 120 minutes for 2021. That's like two hours, Well, that's not like two hours. That actually is two hours. So make a full-length feature film on your smartphone and get the details on our website at internationalmobilefilmfestival.com and get your films ready to submit on June 19th.
1: My name is Jamil Lawrence and I'm a choreographer and mobile filmmaker based in Glasgow, UK. Entering the International Mobile Film Festival was outside my regular comfort zone of the dance community, and so I entered really not knowing what to expect. Even though the festival moved online due to COVID, I made contacts and online friendships that will be invaluable to my work going forwards, and winning a prize in the short film category was the real icing on the cake. I'm already benefiting from this recognition in both the dance community and my new online presence in filmmaking, so thank you International Mobile Film Festival 2020.
0: Buddy, I am here and I welcome you to Nice, France, where the recipient for the first prize award for the International Mobile Film Festival in San Diego this year uh, is in right now because he lives there. Um, he won this award for his film, a short film called Submerged. And I now introduce you to Tom Pardo. Hi, Tom.
1: Hi, everyone. Hi, see
0: Hi. Uh, first of all, again, congratulations for winning the top prize for the short film competition.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much.
0: Um, do you have an acceptance speech that you'd like to give? Any special thank yous for, uh, for the award?
1: Oh, I didn't prepare one, but I guess I would thank first the International Mobile Film Festival for giving me this prize it's a huge honor and it's my first festival experience actually oh. so uh, it's uh, a big thing for me and it was my first film as well my first short film and i was really happy to do it and i would like to thank also my my team beyond the, the film the actress eva andre who did a fantastic fantastic job even though she wasn't an actress uh, and uh, also fabian like who did the sound uh, on the film on set so yeah and also mixing coloring uh, team as well
0: tom your film um one of the things that i that i should tell your audience i mean it's called submerged and speaking about being submerged um part of your film the last part of your film at least um takes place underwater in the ocean yes i have to tell you what I really thought was very interesting Um that I know that when things are underwater, right, they don't just stay there. Yes. <laughs> they, <no>. move <laughs> <a don't>. <laughs> they move around a lot.
1: They move around. Yeah. Yeah. Sure.
0: So I wanted to know your your shots now, Were you, you were behind the camera?
1: Yes, I was. And I had this another person who did the deep underwater shots because I couldn't go deep enough. I was like a novice in the sport and I did did a training for maybe a few days to get to know how, you know, uh, hold your breath and how do you, uh, how do you call that, equalize your ears. Yes, the pressure. Yeah, exactly. And I couldn't go far enough uh, for the, the long shots in the film. So I asked the... Uh, Eva's best friend to who is like a professional diver to go there for me and do it. So I explained to him how I want the shot and he did it. So yeah, it was really huge help for me as well.
0: So there, one of the things that, w- that I was really impressed with, it was, you know, like I was saying things move around a lot underwater and the water, you know, is, um, I mean, I, I guess you could think of it like in the wind, like a leaf in the wind where it moves you around and the water kind of does the same thing. Um, mm-hmm. So you either um, you have to do one or two things. You put the camera down with an, uh, an artificially right uh, with a, a, something that's physically holding it down. Uh, that weighs down. But I'm imagining with a mobile phone that you didn't do that. Obviously, you were behind the camera. How did you hold no. yourself? Uh, did you Were you wearing a belt, a weight belt or something?
1: Absolutely not. We just had our uh, swimming, uh, you know, uh, how do you call it, swimming uh, uh, shorts. Yeah. And we just went uh, down, we um, dive into the sea, and we had a stabilizer with a... Um, iPhone. Yeah. So we just needed to go with the stabilizer deep enough. And then when we were deep enough, uh, go back up a bit and then start shooting. So okay. it was first diving deep and then go a little bit back up to stabilize and then start shooting.
0: Wow. And did the stabilizer, I didn't know you could use a stabilizer underwater like that. Did that hold up pretty well?
1: Yeah, good. It's, actually it's a brand called Vastec and they do a lot of equipment for phones to shoot underwater and it's really, really nice. And they have a big stabilizer to grip and uh, we used it to stabilize everything and it was perfect. We didn't need to move anything during post, we just had to use that and it was already perfect to stabilize.
0: Very, very cool. So you, you were using like an, like a, like an actual handicap type thing, not, not a gimbal.
1: No, no, actually just a, a regular grip. And we had a button on the right side that us to start shooting. So we would push a button and then start shooting and then push again to stop shooting. So that's really a cool equipment. It wasn't a, a gimbal, just a, a regular grip.
0: Nice. And yeah. um, you're, why don't you share a little bit with our listeners? Sorry to get all technical right off the bat. It was just really interesting um, yeah. to talk to someone who shot their film underwater. My father was a scuba diver. Already? Oh, yes. And he used to take a lot of, um, not videos, but he would take his, you know, his SLR, not DSLR camera he was also a photographer and he would take his um camera down and put it in a plastic case and go down uh go diving and then he would get like he would get he would pet eels and things like that he was crazy Uh, oh that's (laughs) great that's awesome Uh, yeah so he would get photos of um you know he he was always looking for sharks he thought sharks were like gonna be friends of his you know like i said he was a little um not not your typical um, person underwater who usually gets a little scared. But I shouldn't say that. Most scuba divers look for sharks and stuff, actually. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> well, we, we had the reason set uh we actually shot the underwater scene one afternoon, and then we tried the week after that another couple of shots. We wanted to have more. And uh, actually, we couldn't shoot because the sea was... Infested with jellyfish, Ooh. like jellyfish everywhere. So we tried for like a few minutes to start shooting in these conditions, but it couldn't work. And actually, at some point, Eva was going back up and I saw like a small jellyfish right like a few inches uh, in front of our face.
0: Mm-hmm. So I
1: said, "Like Let's just cut it. Let's just stop it now and do the cut with what we have already. So, yeah.
0: I I was uh, in Italy one time watching his little raft uh, while he was down under, you know, in the ocean, um, and a jelly, uh, a jellyfish came up, and it was bigger than the raft. Oh, really? Yeah. it's su- oh. It surrounded, so it came up under, and part of it was surrounding, like, if I would have jumped into the water, I would have jumped right into this jellyfish. It was huge.
1: Wow. But apparently the jellyfish, uh, the smaller they uh, they are, the more dangerous they are, I think. I'm not Mm. sure. I'm not an expert. But I think if it's really small, it can be very dangerous. Like I think in Australia, you have like a brand of a jellyfish, right? It's really dangerous and really small as well. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it could kind of be surprising to see like a giant jellyfish in front of you when you're going in the water.
0: Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> like, Don't eat me, <laughs> <I can> please. <laughs> <imagine>. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, definitely. So, what gave you the idea? What? Well, actually, first, again, uh, share a little bit about the synopsis, the, the the premise of your of your film.
1: So it's um, the story is about a, a girl or a woman who is trapped into the sounds of her city. So, she's living in a city with a lot of sounds, a lot of things going on, and it can be really stressful. And she tries to escape that by going into the sea and diving. Because when I talked to divers before starting shooting, they told me a lot that diving, uh, free diving, allowed them to um, uh, escape from the daily life and escape from the stress, escape from everything. So, I thought it was an interesting idea to use sound as a, like a stressful component and then use diving scene to be like a more cool, peaceful uh, part of the film. And uh, I was actually in London before shooting. I was living there. And every day I would took the tube to go to work and there were so many sounds, so many people packed in the same place. Uh, it was really stressful every day. And I really, really want when I go back to Nice, the art of free diving, because I think diving was born in Nice, actually. Uh, there's a lot of people practicing there and, uh, they all talked about how much it would improve their life by just, uh, going away from the stressful, you know, um, daily life. So I think that's what that's why I wanted to do this film. I just wanted to have, a, an experience of how it can be, um, uh, dreamy magical and uh, really relaxing way of of uh, escaping our lives in a way
0: did you um you know there was no no dialogue in the film but did you um you wrote uh, a script for it um and you had all these different sounds that you captured uh throughout yeah. her her walk and uh, did you did you, you capture that with the phone or external sound recording it? Or how did you do that?
1: So we basically, we had a sound engineer on set and he would capture a few sounds. So we had the sound from the tramway, the sounds from the, the coast, uh, a small bits of sound. And then during the mixing stage, we, I asked my sound designer to add more sounds Mm-hmm. So basically took the sounds we had from set and then added a few more uh, after that. So we had like a really rich uh, new sound experience. And uh, so it was a mix between recording on set and uh, during the mixing stage, we added a few more SFX.
0: Yeah, so you had different layers of, of sounds. in Yes, your...
1: exactly. Yeah, and actually during the tramway scene, all the sounds you hear are... Uh, um, Basically, the sound engineer uh, took uh, a few recordings we had and uh, combined them to make it even more uh, louder and uh, stressful. And uh, after that, we added like uh, the sound of like a crying baby. Obviously, because we couldn't record on set a, a baby somewhere to <laughs> record the, the screaming, so right. we just used like a, a SFX uh, on his uh, library to add more layers and more layers every time.
0: Wow. Yeah, it, it was, uh, and it was her perspective.
1: Yeah, exactly. We're talked to Eva the first time, uh, she told me that it was the same thing, but freediving allowed her to escape from that because she hated the sound as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and she couldn't sometimes, uh, you know, support that. So she, she was really happy to do this film because in a way she thought that it was like a perfect fit for her. She understood the story behind it. So she was happy to do it.
0: And when you selected um Ava, uh her name is Ava Andre, right?
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Uh when you selected her for the part, uh did you did you uh have tryouts or how how did that work?
1: Actually, no, because the funny story is that uh, the first time uh, I went to Nice, I went to this diving uh, training camp and uh, I just say, hey, I'm doing a film. I'm looking for uh, who want to do like this few few shots in the water. Is anybody uh, okay with that? And uh, I talked to a girl. She was named um, Leah and she told me, yeah, I can do it. So we talked for a few days about that. And after, I think two weeks before shooting, she told me she couldn't do it because she was about to do the world competition in September in this uh, diving competition. And uh, she told me, I know a friend, she's doing also free diving, and I, ca- I can introduce you to her. And I talked to Eva uh, that way. Uh, we met and we really got along. So she agreed to to do the film.
0: Very very cool, and, and yeah, you didn't, you didn't lose her anywhere in the water, right?
1: <laughs> no no no. <laughs> no no no, that's fine. Yeah yeah yeah. Actually, we were her, me, and uh, her boyfriend boyfriend. In he's like a professional diving instructor, so he helped me for some shots to do it because I couldn't go far enough. Sometimes we didn't go that far. We I think the maximum uh, dip we did was like maybe. Uh, I don't know in feet, I know in meters, but it's like seven or eight meters. So that would be, I don't know, actually. I can't tell you in the feet how much.
0: Yeah, is, I couldn't either. A- I'm horrible at that. Um, yeah. At that.
1: Like if you take it on Google, it's like seven or eight meters. So we can do the uh,
0: right.
1: converse. Um, so yeah, we are free on site on the shots.
0: It, it From my point of view, it kind of looked like it was somewhere around 20 feet.
1: That was the goal yeah to make it look like it was deeper than that yeah yeah, yeah for sure actually at 20 meters you can't see anything almost mm-hmm. so uh, when I asked uh, Eva oh do you think we can do like for 20 or 30 meters she was like no we can't we can't do that because uh, you know if you can't go that far um, <laughs> like this like text preparation and just like a, a lot of um, focus and it and she told me also that you couldn't see anything at 20 meters so you better go to seven or eight, just to catch the blue of the ocean, yeah. of the sea. So, yeah, yeah. But my goal as the was to go the deepest we can go. And she told me we can do that because you you won't see anything on your shots at all. So
0: <laughs> Yeah. Well, and also, it, Matt, there's some days when the water is really, really clear uh, and other days when it's not, when it's murkier. Um, yeah. certain times of the day, also clouds, believe it or not, affect that. But um, but you had some yeah. nice shots with the rays of the sun, uh, the glittering uh, with their movement. And I know I, I could tell that you enhanced some of that in post-production. Um, but how many, how, let me ask you this, uh, how many shots did you, how much footage did you capture um, before you, that you had to select from, did you capture a lot and then just choose these ones or did, were these sort of, I don't know how I'm asking the question, but I think you, you know what I mean, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Well, for, it depends, but I think for the breathing scene, we did maybe five or six takes, I guess. Mm -hmm. So, I'm not a big believer in doing like 30 takes and then selecting the best one in post. I prefer to say, okay, let's do a few. And then when I really think we got it, I just say, okay, let's move on. So for each scene, it was maybe, yeah, three or four takes and then uh, moving on to the next uh, shot. So And
0: and then each scene was about how how, well, for the underwater scenes, how long was each take for you?
1: So that took a bit more time because we had to prepare the, the, the camera and we had actually issues with uh, like a, a, an app to record. So we used the native camera of the phone to take the, the shots. And uh, every time I had to explain, when I didn't do the shots myself, I explained to Eva's boyfriend, okay, you have to dive at around, you know, seven, eight meters and then, Go back a bit, up, stabilize, and I want this long shot of her. Where you are moving forward, her at the same time, and then you you let you let her go back up without you going up as well. You have to stay on the same place and stay focused on where where you're shooting. So I had to explain every time what I want, and if it was not so where we wanted to, we had to explain again a bit more. So it took a, a bit more time. I think it took four or five hours to shoot everything and okay. for the long shot we had i think uh four takes something like that because every time we they had to be on the same level so if i was diving and um Gilles, the boyfriend had to be at the same uh her height in a way and then not move and we smoothly move forward towards her and it took a bit of time to calibrate everything
0: yeah, because you had to establish continuity throughout the, the footage.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes the blue has a different shade of blue, so we try to be uh, on the same angle, because you, I think you can see a bit of the sun, uh, how do you call it, uh, sun uh, flares, Yes. I guess. Uh, yes,
0: the, the rays flares. of the sun.
1: Exactly, yeah, the rays of the sun uh, behind her. So we try to keep the same angle every time. But like you said before, things are moving underwater. So sometimes it's not really working. So we had to try again.
0: Did you find that um, easy in, in post-production while you're editing to, to put those scenes together? Or, um, I mean, obviously it worked great because you won, but I'm just... <laughs> <laughs> well, uh,
1: to be honest, it was... Uh, I didn't I didn't reinvent the film in post. I uh, just kept the, the narrative I had from the beginning on my script. So I, when I wrote this, I wrote all the sounds. I wrote all the scenes with transition to from one to the next. And uh, it was pretty straightforward because I had just to follow the script. And uh, I had only four or five takes for each uh, shot. So it was pretty fast yeah, to do the, the cuts. Uh I think the the biggest work we had to do was on the sound side, so after the edit first the picture cut. so i starting I started cutting only the picture and no sound and then after the picture was done, I went to the sound part and that took a long time because I had to find the best the best sounds yeah. and uh combine them in the best way and it took a, a long time to do that,
0: yeah, usually. Usually the sound is the audio, call it the audio sweetening part is, is usually the last thing you do because every time you remove the video, um, you have to redo the sound. So
1: exactly, exactly. Yeah. yeah, And yeah, there were so much layers, but I didn't want to, you know, uh, have a rough cut of the picture and then start cutting the sounds and then realizing, oh, that's not, not, not the right pace or anything. So I have to go back to the sounds now and change everything. So, yeah, we tried to have the pace right for the picture first and then the sounds.
0: Now, you also, we didn't even talk about this, but there's an effect with the, you know, we were just talking about the colors. What I thought was really interesting about about the film was also that, Uh, When the sounds, uh, the sound effects, the sound of the natural sounds that she's listening to that are annoying, right, um, are unbearable, the video is black and white. And when she goes into the ocean and all the sounds disappear, basically, and she's calm, uh, all the color, the vibrant colors come in. Mm
1: Mhm. yeah.
0: And that was part of the storytelling
1: absolutely it was on, on script and also I think you can see the aspect ratio changing so it's uh we have, we have the letterboxes when she's uh in the city and then it's full full frame when she's underwater uh just, it was just the, the, the uh, you know the uh my way of telling people that you know when when she's diving to the sea her perspective of the world is changing. She's feeling more safe, uh, more relaxed. And it had to go from the sounds to the music as well, because the music is only in the film during the underwater scene right. and not in the city. And uh, this was all the vocab- vocabulary we had to use to tell people that it's a totally, totally different experience when she's in the city and when she's underwater. Um, So change of color, sounds, and the music kicks in underwater as well. Yeah,
0: it's almost like, you know, the narrow of the the anamorphic um, lenses that you were using for the effect of the letterbox, right? Where it's like her mind was in a narrow field of perspective, right? Because it wasn't really open until she got underwater. And when you're calm, you... I mean, she's underwater, but, you, you know, you feel you can breathe better. You can think better. You can feel you can relax. It was uh, mm-hmm. it's pretty awesome. Um, so tell me a little bit about your background, because, you know, you're not just born making movies like this and winning awards, right?
1: No, <laughs> no, no, <laughs> never. never. It takes time and experience. Um, actually, uh, I was really surprised to win because, like I said, it was my first film. Yeah, I never did like a narrative short film before. And my background is a bit uh, uh, strange because at first I got into a business school. So I did my first five years after high school in a business school where I learned all things that had nothing to do with the movies, which is finance, uh, marketing and everything. And after that, uh, after five years and one year in uh, advertising, I said, yeah, you know what? I want to change a bit and not do this anymore. So I have to find a way to go into movies because I, I love this and I, I really like to edit as well. I was cutting videos since I was 15 or 16. Yeah. Um, so I thought, okay, the best way for me to go into movies would be to go into movie trailers because movie trailers you can cut. And also it's advertising and film at the same time, which is like a great fit for me because I come from business and communication. So I found a job in London as an assistant. Uh, I was, I think, 23 years old or 24. And uh, I stayed there for three years. Uh, And then after three years, I went junior and went freelance as well. And I realized I don't want to do trailers all my life anymore, so I, I have to go back to something else and I really like the idea of directing something because uh, you know you, I'm curious in everything in filmmaking like sound uh, holding the camera cutting talking with like a color uh, colorist and uh, I thought maybe directing would be the best way for me to combine everything together mm. so uh, I heard about this uh, competition nice uh, about like a, on you can shoot on mobile phone no longer about five minutes. So it should be pretty easy to do, and actually it was a lot of work, but uh, it was really a really amazing experience. I realized that I loved, you know, uh, the the whole experience from writing to shooting to editing, and uh, yeah, it was like my first uh, short film, and I was really happy to do it in this condition and learn about freelighting as well. It was a spot I discovered like a few months before shooting. And I, uh, I watched so many videos of it uh, while researching for the film, and uh, I love the universe around it. Uh, so yeah, that's pretty much my background.
0: <laughs> one of the one of the things that I was looking at your website, and it actually mentions that you were in LA and New York, right?
1: Yes, actually, yes. Uh, when I was, uh, hold on, was. 21. Uh, so I studied for one year with my business school. I studied one year in the US at uh, it's called Midland University. It's in Decatur,
0: Illinois,
1: ah. uh, a small town. And uh, I stayed there for one year. And after that, I had the chance to do an internship in the, in the US. So I searched for one, and my my family, some of our family is living in LA. At the time, now they are in New York, but at the time they were in LA and I tried to find the internship there. And I found an internship in a small organization, like a, I think it was like a called the Green Film Festival, something like that, like about, uh, uh, you know, environmental films, or something like that. So I did, I did that as an editor uh, for like a few months before going back to France. And also, before going to London, I did an internship in New York for three months uh, with an agency specialized in trailers. So just it was a really small internship because I just went there for once, one day every week and just watching what they're doing. And sometimes I would go with the uh, director on sets to see how they work because they were doing both fi- trailers and making a featurette. So I had a chance wow. to see that and experience it. I loved it. And after that, I went back to France and started searching something in London.
0: So you've been mm-hmm. around?
1: I, I've been around, yeah. <laughs> but just mostly in the US and then London, yeah. But uh, it was really an uh, absolutely incredible experience to travel a bit in the US when I was young, uh, younger. I'm still 28 now.
0: <laughs> yeah um, well there yeah, had to I'm... be something though right that that helped you go from business that something that called to you about storytelling or filmmaking or something right that that moved yeah. you to make that drastic change.
1: Yeah well for a very long time I thought you know when I was 18 I had to choose where I'm going to study now and uh, I thought business school was better because you know if you want to go into movies I thought the time I try to be in Hollywood no people there and just like make films because of that um, so I didn't feel like uh, I could do this when I was 18 I thought that's just like something you can only do when you are in the US and have people you know working there. So I just thought, okay, I'm just going to go like a business school because I'm really curious about everything. And in business school, you can learn about, you know, a lot of different aspects of a business. Um, um, and I thought maybe film, going to film school would be a bit too narrow for me because I could only learn about the maybe the filmmaking process. But I think when you go into movies, uh, I, it's an art first, and then also it's a business. So... It can make sense to start as a a business school and then move to filmmaking because you have to deal with people uh, to produce a film, pitching and these things you can do in business school. So I think to sell yourself and just uh, 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 be better at pitching and uh, uh, holding your finance, you know, for your film, like uh, holding budgets. Right. uh, It can be useful to go to business school. There's no like you know. There's no I think, a uh, perfect school for for filmmaking. Filmmaking is so much uh, things at the same time. It's, uh, uh, I think there's no right way to do this. So I guess I'm pretty, at the time I thought maybe it was a bad choice for me to go to business school. But now I realize how valuable it was to go there. I think I learned a lot of things.
0: Yeah, everything I mean everything is connected to I mean filmmaking is a is an industry and 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 it's a business and in the end the film is is what's really unique about film is that it's a work of art, right? That includes yeah. audio, sound and you know even there's some psychology, you know like we were just talking about black and white, going into color, and all that, there's there's perceptions and feelings, and there's a lot of power in filmmaking, and controlling uh, what your viewers are experiencing uh, during mm-hmm. the process, and when you're thinking about business and marketing and advertising, you're base, it it it's very connected to that and there's a there's a bit of a similarity to that. Like for example, if you're making commercials, right? In advertising.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Yeah. And yeah.
0: in a very short period of time you're trying to evoke something in your viewers so that they buy something, right?
1: Yes. Yeah, yes. Same for traders. You try to captivate the audience in 30 seconds, two minutes, and to try to make them buy the thing you're promoting. Um, I think, yeah, I think also going into trailers was a really, really, really good move because it's such a good way of understanding how editing works and how um, tell a story because basically you're seeing so many movies every day and you have to literally just analyze them so basically when I'm doing a trailer for a client I usually watch a movie three times Mm. so the first time as a regular audience uh, second time with only the dialogue and no picture and then the third time with picture but no dialogue and that's where you can really analyze every shot every sound every line of dialogue and it's a really good way of understanding uh, filmmaking and also, I think in telling a story in two minutes or 30 seconds or 10 seconds, it's a really good way to, you know, be concise in your editing and knowing, OK, I can get rid of this shot. I can get rid of this line that I was not useful story. A good thing, I think, to learn to trailers, like if you can, I would recommend everyone to just watch a movie they like and just analyze it and make a trailer because you can really understand how storytelling story works uh, that way.
0: Yeah, and I mean, in, in a lot of trailers that I've seen, the the really good trailers, um, really it's it's... You're not telling the story of the film, you're telling of the story of why you should want to see the story of the film.
1: Yeah, exactly. I think the best trailers are basically i'm not trying to tell you the whole story like uh, except the three act structure and then oh it's gonna happen this and then this and then this it's just it's free giving like the atmosphere of the film Mm -hmm. without giving away the plot, basically and so many trailers today are doing the opposite they are telling you all this everything in the story is there, and you can just like be sure it's going to be a good movie, but you don't want to watch it anymore because everything's there already. <laughs> uh, so yeah, you have really to find a way to give away the atmosphere and the tone why this movie is special and uh, and not giving away the plot at the same time
0: yeah. you're selling uh, yeah. you're selling the story. You're selling the film, you're making people. I mean, that's real pitching for a film, right?
1: Yeah, and to do that, I think you have to use your emotional parts. You have to uh, use emotions. You have to use uh, uh, people things that people can relate to, I guess. Uh, and every time, it's funny because sometimes when I'm watching a movie, I really relate to. Uh, I'm using my own experience to cut the trailer because, it, I mean, films are like uh, emotional pieces. You can laugh, you can cry, you can, you know, be thrilled by something. And it's always about, I think for me, re- relating uh, to this emotion, uh, to this situation in a story. So that's why it's really close to f- make a film because you are relating to your own experience to tell the story. And you're doing that when you're cutting a, a film, when you are directing a film, when you are writing a film. So, yeah, I, I think if someone's curious to try something else to uh, improve their skills as a filmmaker, they should try to make a trailer. It's a really nice uh, practice.
0: Yeah, some trailers deserve awards. What are your favorite type of uh, trailers? I mean, as far as genre.
1: Uh, I like drama. Yeah. Uh, every, every time a client gives me like a drama, I, I like it. Um, um You know what? Uh, comedy... Uh, yeah comedies are really hard to sell not because they are not good because it's really good sometimes and it's really hard to have the tempo right and comedy is all about the tempo like the the pace uh is how you give away a, a joke if the pace is that good it will make people laugh and it's going to be bad so it's really hard to do comedies uh I, lo- I like drama because sometimes you can just use a piece of music and go around it, explore it. Uh, And I, yeah, I really love music. Um, And I think to do a good trailer, you also have to have a sense of, uh, uh, of music. Some people in my industry, in London, some people were coming from music first and then to trailers because they know how to uh, cut music in a way that can be uh, still nice to hear, you know, like it's a new way of, uh, um, I I remember, for example, the uh, trailer for. um, uh, What's called? Oh, you know the the film like the DC Comics film with like uh, the Joker and uh, Harley Quinn.
0: uh, Oh. Squad something.
1: Yeah. I I forgot the name. Damn. As as soon (laughs) Uh, as you
0: said, I forgot the name. I was just I was just looking to watch that. I haven't watched it yet. Um, yeah, I was looking I, to I w- watch that, but yeah, I know what you mean. They have this pulsing in the trailer of fading in and out of some crazy stuff with the sound, it was, too.
1: It was a, a trailer made with a music from Queen. Yeah. And uh, I saw the timeline for this trailer, and it's amazing how the guy did it because he. When you watch the trailer, you still enjoy the music. Like the tempo is so right. And there's so many more sound effects to make it even more cooler. Yeah, Um, intense. Yeah, yeah, intense, you know. And you have to have this sense of rhythm in your trailers. Mm -hmm. Like you have to have this sense of rhythm in your films. You have to know, oh, people are gonna be bored if I make this shot too long or this dialogue too long. So I think rhythm is everything in trailers and in, in films.
0: Yeah, it's um you know, our last guest was um Jamieel um Jamil Lawrence who once won the this the second prize in the film festival. Yeah. Yeah. And with his film with the, the dancing and the movements and we were talking about um the 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 marriage in a way between choreography and cinematography. And the 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 camera movements and the performer playing, you Mm -hmm. know, and moving to to the music, but also towards the camera for the viewer. And I found that conversation so so interesting. And you, what you were just talking about right now, sort of buys into that on the fluidity of the movements of when you're composing, uh, which is. Kind of what you're doing, right? When you're editing something with, with picture and sound, right?
1: Exactly. Yeah, it's composing, uh, picture and sound together. Absolutely, yeah. Um, yeah, that's what I like about it. It's just, uh, I love this uh, sense of rhythm. Um, everything. I think the best way of knowing if, uh, if the editing is really good is to watch a really long film. And see if you are bored or not. Like for example, I love the movie called uh, Amadeus mm. from Miloš Forman. I don't know if you watch it, but mm. every time I watch this movie, it's like still three hours long or something like that. And all the time, I don't see the time. Like you know, uh, I'm I'm there from beginning to end. And that's I think how editing should be. You have to be there all the time and not watch at some point your phone on your on your watch. Um,
0: just that, that, I think that uh, happens to me yeah. with Lord of the Rings
1: <laughs> Oh, really <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's like what it was only three and a half hours long or something you know but you feel like
1: yeah to be fair like four hours is like quite long you have to be a really skilled <laughs> editor to make it like pretty uh, oh intense full for like four hours but yeah
0: yeah well yeah. remember Gandhi?
1: Yeah, yeah, Gandhi. A
0: lot of Yeah, yeah. That was a very, very long film. Um, I remember watching that. I was very young when I watched that. Um, I watched it in Spain. Actually, it was like a a rerun, you know, in a small theater, and uh, it was in the summer. Mm-hmm. And I think there were maybe three people in the theater. <laughs> middle of the day during the (laughs) siesta, you know, the the nap time. Um, Yes, yes. And uh, I remember they had an intermission, and we kind of walked outside and went, should we go back in? I I don't like intermissions, you know, in films because of that, because you almost, depending on the film, I mean, it's like, I don't know. It's just like cutting up your... your, Yeah, yeah. Interrupting. I know what you mean. Yeah, the reality. What you mean? You're submerged, right?
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> into the story well, and then they pull you out and say, go back.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, I guess for like really long movies like uh Ben Hur, for example, uh, you know, it's so long. Like I, I don't know if I can watch it without interruptions. Maybe I can do it. I can do it without interruptions. Yeah. But yeah, I know what you mean. You just like go into the story and then they, they Tell you to stop for and go back to the story. It can be hard sometimes to do that. Mm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Although Gandhi, you know, Gandhi, I I think mentally you kind of needed the break though. It was a little different, but still.
1: Yeah. It it makes you think
0: twice, right?
1: (laughs) Exactly. Yeah.
0: What do you see? What is one, one, one thing you feel like I have quite I have nothing here as far as questions to ask you but this is based on our conversations and I'm just curious yeah. uh, what is the the one thing that you learned from this filmmaking because this was your your first film right uh, yes and film festival experience but what would you say is, Something that you learned from this that you will take into because I'm I'm thinking you know you won an award and you're not thinking ah well now I don't need to make movies anymore I won and and that's it right but what would be yeah. one thing that you feel like you can take to your next project?
1: Well, well, if you think like that, if you think like oh I'm done, I don't won the first prize and I'm, I can. <laughs> Then you should maybe do something else because... Yeah, retire. <laughs> yeah, retire now. Um, I, I, what I really learned about this short film, this first short film, is that I love it. I love filmmaking. I love directing a film. So for sure, I want to do something else after that. Uh, actually, I wrote my first feature doing, uh, uh, this year. Uh, I finished it during the lockdown in, in France. Oh. um And then I also have another shot I want to do at the end of the year, if I can go outside, hopefully. Um, And also I wrote an animation short film last year that I want to do maybe next year as well. Because animation is quite expensive compared to like a live action short film.
0: Right. So,
1: yeah, I found a studio there in France. It's called uh, 3.0 Studio. And they did, uh, for example, uh, The Red Turtle. I don't know if you watched it, uh, this film. It was nominated for an, an Oscar, uh, I think, in 2016. Something wow. Like. Uh, it's a really nice studio, and they like the story, so I think I'm going to do with them uh, the, the film. But we need more money to do it, uh, obviously. Um, so, yeah, I really learned that I love directing a film. I want to do some more after that. And also... I was really scared before diving into this film that I wouldn't like the process and I it would be like too horrendous to do it over and over again. Mm-hmm. And I realized that I had so much fun doing it that when I was shooting, I was always thinking, "Oh, this like sounds so easy, like so." Uh, So fun! Uh, I must be doing something wrong because it should be hard. Should be like so difficult to do a film, and I'm having so much fun. Like it shouldn't be that way. So well,
0: but it was hard in a way. You know, you had to. It was hard. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, but the the thing is that there are people who thrive in, in challenges. You know, and they get creative. And being creative to solve a problem right um when you when you enjoy challenges is actually pretty fun and it um and and it um brings something to life from inside of us to the surface you know I'm trying to stay on the yeah. submerged theme here um <laughs> yeah. but and you know what i think like yeah. yeah you're
1: right you're right i think everything should everything you do should be a new uh a way to learn new things. Like, for example, on this film, I knew that I wanted to learn more about free diving. And actually, uh, talking about challenges, uh, initially, I thought about... Uh, there's DP in this. She's called Julie Gauthier. And you can watch her films on, online if you go to... Uh, I think Nat Geo uh, uh, put online one of her short films. Basically, she's uh, uh, with a freediver. is like a world champion. They are both living in this, nice, and they are doing films together. And she's the director in every film, and the DP, underwater, and she's really, really good. I can send you the names if you want after the the, the podcast. Yes, uh, we'll put
0: it. We'll put the links on the notes.
1: And there's nothing uh, like what I did with submerged, like hundred times, like. Uh, lower quality than what she's doing with her camera underwater. And initially I wanted to to work with her on this film. And unfortunately she was so busy with some some of her projects she couldn't do it. And I could have said, okay, she can't do it, I can't go underwater and I can't do this film, so I'm screwed basically. I can't I can't do this film. Uh, but maybe I can learn to do free diving and then do it myself. And it would be so much funnier to do that because I don't have to um, to uh, wait for someone else to do it for me. I can just take the camera, pick it up, and do it myself. And that was so uh, fun to do. Like, go with Gilles, the other uh, DP on this film, uh, underwater and filming Eva. And it was really a fun experience.
0: Wow, that's pretty interesting. What did you like about the mobile what do you see in the future of mobile filmmaking with with smartphone cameras
1: um uh, it's hard to say but i think i think it's so like when you started to this industry like 40 years ago it was much harder because you had to rely on really expensive equipment it was not the same way we are today we have like phones that can do films uh we have a good quality to start to make a film so it's it's going to become easier and easier for people to make their first film uh i'm i'm not sure if the mobile films will replace you know films shot on alexa's or alexa or anything like that uh i'm not sure but uh there's suddenly like a a, a wave like like the new wave in france like uh <laughs> in the past it's just like a new way of doing films you know for example, there's a director in France He's called Claude Lelouch. And he did, for example, A Man and a Woman, uh, which won like an Academy Award in the 70s, I think, or 60s. Yes, um,
0: I know who you're and, talking about.
1: Yeah, and this guy is like so incredible because uh, I met him like a few months ago. He, he was very need nice to open the studios uh, there. And uh, he, he was do- planning to do his next film only on mobile phone. For example, he he said to me like, uh, he said to us, um, I love phones because I was dreaming about phones even before they started to make them, because back then you had to use like a really heavy equipment, really expensive. It was like a nightmare to move the camera around and try new compositions. And now with phones, you can do that like just just like this. And uh, for him, it was like a dream come true, literally to have a phone. So I think he's doing his next fo- movie on the phone, and I'm pretty sure he's going to continue after that. Uh, I'm not sure it's gonna, if it's going to replace the movies we have right now uh, in the cinemas, but I'm sure it's going to be like more and more important, and more filmmakers, even like the big names in the industry, will continue to make films on phones.
0: I think in the end, what what should come out of this and what it does um, is the is is um give more importance to the stories uh, and instead of what you shoot it with so that there are more opportunities for really good stories to get out there, which is what people are craving in the cinema. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, A while back, uh, I mean, you know, I'm sure you know the history of our film festival, but Uh, Way back in 2013, Mm -hmm. there was a film that I brought into a theater, 60-foot cinema screen shot with an iPhone 4S. I have to admit um, that it looked better than films that were shot with traditional cameras. In many ways, just because of the way that the filmmaker took so much care to make it cinematic. He then brought the film Mm -hmm. into Adobe After Effects and did some special effects and color, you know, colorizing. And he the sound was very well done. It was it wasn't shot with the phone. It was done externally. There was a, a baseball bat that falls on the floor. And the sound mm-hmm. of that was epic. You know, it was just so well done. Um, and it was, it really made everybody go, wow. And that film was one minute long. And yeah. and uh, there were other films there that were traditional independent films that were shot, you know, uh, they were... They weren't, they were shorts, but, I mean, they, they were, you know, some of them were like, I think they were like 20 minutes or 30 minutes or whatever it was. And they were good, you know what I mean? But they, they, they didn't have that epic, impressive, cinematic uh, look and feel aesthetically on the big screen. And it mm-hmm. surprised me, even, you know? Yeah. Um, and I thought, you know, it, it, it really emphasizes that what people really like about films is, you know, that it, it, it brings you into the, the storyteller's world, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. like if you could control your dream, right, the story in mm-hmm. your dreams, and then bring people inside your own dreams, right, to share that with you. And yeah. And then when they come out, you say, "Hey, you know, wasn't that cool? What did you get out of that? Did you did you feel this and that? And how does that experience change your perspective uh, in the world, even that you live in and your own experiences and everything? I think that's what the power of filmmaking is. And I think that really what mobile filmmaking is doing is giving that powerful, a tool to anyone who has a phone, right, to be able to do that if they choose to, and are willing yeah. to work to do that. You know?
1: Yeah. Well, I, I think I think you're right. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think people can decide one day to do a film with a phone. If sorry to tell, sometimes I hear filmmakers saying to younger filmmakers, "Oh, you can shoot your next film this weekend. That's fine. You can just take a phone and do it." It's kind of halfway true, because first you have to have a story, and if you don't have any story to tell, then you have nothing to do this weekend. You just have to think about a story, write it, and then shoot it. You can do whenever you want your next film, but first and foremost, you have to have your story. And if you have a story to tell that is to you that is important, I think people will listen, for sure. And you Uh, have to have a vision,
0: You have to have a vision of your story and how that's going to play out so that you can actually... It's like um, if you if you want to create a figurine out of clay, right? A figure. Yeah. You almost have yeah. to see it while you're molding that and, and, and forming it.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it's true. I think you have to have a clear idea of what you want, but mm-hmm. at the same time, you have to be open for new ideas because filmmaking is like collaboration and you can't just say oh i've got everything in my head it's just like perfect the way it is because sometimes even on set during filming submerged uh, i remember i had this idea for um for scene and eva told me oh i'm not sure it's gonna work for me uh, i can try but then she tried and it didn't work and she said you know i can try that and that and that she, oh yeah cool yeah let's try it and she did. That's perfect. So I think, yeah, it's true. You have to have a clear idea of what you want in your head. But sometimes you have to be open for new ideas to come up. Because sometimes people will give you like even better ideas than what you have already in mind.
0: True. And you also have to know how to communicate it.
1: Exactly. Yeah. 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 Explaining things is like really important for a director. <laughs> <laughs> to explain your idea. Explain, uh, yeah.
0: You could try to explain it to people. But I think in the end, the director, um, people trust them, the people that they work with. Sometimes the director can't communicate everything, you know, they're not perfect. Um, But if you have a team that trusts that you know what you're doing or that you are able to put that together somehow with your vision, um, you know, that also works, too. I think, like you said, collaboration is a big deal.
1: Mm, it's a huge deal because it's like the only one of the few hours where you have to collaborate with a lot of people to make it happen and uh, you, you can do a, I guess you can do a film by yourself but it won't be as good as a film you did like with a team of people because they have all their skills and I think like in a business for example like in a business when you want to be the CEO of the business you have to be surrounded by people who are better than you yeah. you have to be surrounded with people who are, skilled in what they're doing and way better at what they're doing than you. And I think it's the same thing for film. I think if you're a director of course you have to know about everything but you have to find people who are way better at every part of the process. Like if you are looking for a DP you have to look for a DP who is obviously better with you than you with the camera. That doesn't mean that you have to abandon the idea of operating the camera yourself at some point but just to be surrounded with people who are really skilled and of course, like you said, trust you in your in your in your vision, in your story.
0: Yeah, there's a combination and that's what that's where the magic of filmmaking comes in. It's it's the connection between everyone in the team, you know, the lighting people, the sound people, you're trusting them to to pull this through. And and sometimes it'll surprise you, you know, they'll say you know, we did it. We are not sure what you want, and the director also has to trust the team. You know, and um, and and understand that sometimes you may see what you want, but they may be able to pull something off way better uh, than what you think. Um, when it mm-hmm. comes to when it comes to storytelling, you did a, you did a really really great job in your film Submerged. Um, and I'm looking forward to seeing your, your next films, you know?
1: No, oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah.
0: yeah. I look forward to
1: do the next thing as well when I'm not in lockdown, but uh,
0: <laughs> yeah, for sure. For definitely, definitely. <laughs> um, are you, uh, well, I'll tell you what, next time you're in San Diego, you're definitely getting some tacos.
1: <laughs> oh, Yes. You know what? I've been to San Diego before. Uh, I went there when I was, I think, eighteen or nineteen. I loved it. That's so good. Yeah. So, so good. And I think we, we went to LA like for a weekend after that. And I felt, oh yeah, San Diego is way better an LA. Like so nice, so <laughs> so cool. Yeah,
0: yeah. One thing about I used to say about LA is like it's always cloudy here. You know, when you go closer to downtown because of the. You know, the smog and everything, but it, it, the funny thing is now with the the COVID, you know, 19, the lockdown and everything, not many people have mm. been driving and the smog has been like they're saying, you know, the skies are clear and everything is better. So it's it's kind of nice. So you'll have to come yeah, before absolutely. we get it all smogged up again.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I promise you, next time I'm in the U.S. and the West Coast, I'll let you know eh? We get some tacos.
0: <laughs> That's right. That's right. We have the best here. Sounds don't let anyone me. tell you otherwise.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, I won't. Don't, don't worry. Yeah.
0: <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Is there anything else that you think that you would like to um, that you'd like to mention that we may have not touched on?
1: Um, for example, yeah, I think, uh, you know, with this COVID 19 crisis, I think good things will come up after that because I think people will realize that you can work remotely and not only work with people around you. Like, for example, for Submerged, um, you know, uh, my, this first thing that I had, I didn't do it with people around me in Nice. I did it with like a sound mixer who is living in Paris, uh, the colorist, she's living in New York, and the composer, he's living in LA. So oh. I think now we have to enjoy the opportunity of working remotely with people. Uh, obviously, you can't work remotely with actors, but you know, with editors, composers, uh, mixers, colorists, you can do that remotely from anywhere. So if you really love the the, the work of someone who's living, like for example, in Chile or China, mm-hmm. just like send them an email and just do it with them. Because I think it's like an amazing way to do things now. You can do it. With people all around the world and not only in your town.
0: Yeah, that's thanks to the internet, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. I think it's like a huge deal, and it's going to be. But it's going to bring brings us better stories for sure. After uh, after all this.
0: Well, yeah, and that's the other the other thing that um, we missed out in having the the film festival as a live event this year, because every year people come together and they meet each other. And sometimes they get to work on things together, even though you know they live in different countries or in different parts of the world. And you know, some of the filmmakers from San Diego have come to the film festival and met other filmmakers from San Diego that they've never met before, even. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I think it's um, it's really interesting how people how well. People and I and I don't I I, I think it's basically I love filmmakers. Uh, they don't have to be mobile filmmakers, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm in love with the filmmakers. It's one of the reasons why I did this was to help realize the dreams of um, everybody on crew and on set, and to make this more available to everybody. But um, I also one of the things that I've noticed over the years is that mobile filmmakers are more willing to collaborate no matter where they are in the world, uh, on projects. Exactly.
1: <clears throat> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. For, yeah. For example, like last year, it was my first time in Cannes. I'd never been to the festival before. Mm. And, uh, I went for like three days and I remember I went to a masterclass. It was, uh, an editor, the editor of Pablo Laren Um mm-hmm. uh, and uh, I remember thinking, oh, this guy is so amazing, but he's living in Chile. And I thought, oh, it'd be so great if I'm doing one day like a feature film to like, just send me an email and maybe try to do it with him because that's so a nice guy, he's such a talented uh, editor. So, uh, yeah, you can meet people in your town and do it t- together. But that's what I did with Fabian, the sound engineer. He's like amazing. He's living in Nice. I can't actually, he's living in Cannes. Um, but yeah, you can be, you're never alone now with filmmaking. Like if you want to find fellow filmmakers, you can find them online anywhere they are in the world. So it's, I think it's like a huge opportunity because sometimes you can feel like isolated if you're living in a small town in a country and you think, oh, there's no filmmakers around me. Mm-hmm. Well, first, I think now with the festivals, you can have like a lot of filmmakers around you if you look a bit more and also online, you You have to be open-minded and think, okay, this guy in uh, New York that I love, I can send him an an email and ask him to do it with me if he wants to. Uh, That's what I did with a composer uh, on this film, Gavin Breivik, who is really talented. And um, I sent him an email because I saw one of his short films online on Vimeo, and he replied saying, yeah, I would love to do it, man, for sure. So...
0: That is yeah. so awesome. That is just so yeah. awesome. I love stories like that. Because most people yeah, are yeah. pretty pretty awesome. And you just reach out to them uh, and talk to them. And, you know, they're so willing to to work with you, you know. That is so cool. I love Yeah, that.
1: yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Gavin also is a really nice composer. So if you're looking for someone, just... As in doing,
0: <laughs> <laughs> awesome. A bit of advertising as well. Yeah, no, it, it it's a really there's so many good things happening in the world when it comes to, and that is the whole key to me. It's it's all about connection and connecting, uh, and and I think what you know, once you connect with somebody, you're sharing stories, whether it's a personal story or an experience or even. Uh, things that you can learn, you know, that someone says, you know, I screwed up this thing and you know what I learned about it. And now you know you don't have to screw it up.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: <That's true. laughs> so, so, anyways, yeah. so what would be one piece of advice that you could, um, that you would like to uh, say to inspire the filmmakers out there so that they can make a short film or a feature film with their phone? Um, what would be one message they could take from you?
1: Um, well, I would say first that you need to find a story that is important to you, that you really are burning to, to tell it. That's the first step. And if you don't have this story yet, that's fine. Just like uh, enjoy life, explore new things, uh, try new things. And so the, there, you have this story in mind, just, yeah, you can do it uh, anytime you want. Just write it. Use it as a regular process of doing a film, write it, show it, edit it. Uh, Surround yourself with people you like and you enjoy working with. Uh, And talented also, obviously, uh, if you think they're talented. And at at the end, uh, enjoy the process and learn to adapt along the way. You you can't do filmmaking if you can't adapt. I always say, like, uh, you know... um, filmmaking is like survival if you can't adapt you you will eventually die so you have to always be ready to do something you were not expecting to do but actually it turns out to be a better option than the initial one you had in mind so yeah enjoy enjoy the process and uh yeah just enjoy the process i guess <laughs> and,
0: make, and make films and then you know you might just make films yeah you might just win.
1: You might just win. Yeah, you might come to San Diego and enjoy Texas with Susie.
0: <laughs> awesome. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, we'd like to say, um, we're, well, you're going you're gonna to send us some links and we'll share them with yeah. all our listeners here and say goodbye to our listeners.
1: Yeah, goodbye, guys. It's nice to, uh, to be part of this. And thank you again, Susie, for the opportunity. I really enjoy the conversation.
0: Oh, me too. Thank you.